So have you ever read something that threw you for a loop, you know, just, just confused you a little bit, maybe a, a letter or a text or an email, and, and it just kind of rattled you a little? Haddon Robinson shares a letter that a college student sent home to her parents. Dear mom and dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire in my room set by rioting students, I suffered lung damage and I had to go to the hospital. While there, I fell in love with an orderly. Then I got arrested for my part in the riots. Anyway, I'm dropping out of school, getting married, and moving to Alaska, your loving daughter, Buttercup. It wasn't really Buttercup, I just added that. P.S., none of this really happened, but I did flunk a chemistry class, and I wanted you to keep it in perspective. (laughs) Keeping things in perspective is, is kind of a big deal. It's something that we really do have to do. Sometimes it's incredibly hard to keep perspective, though, right? And when is it incredibly hard? Well, it's incredibly hard at rock bottom. It's incredibly hard when things are lower than low, when they're worse than worse, when, when there's this overwhelming feeling that you're too far gone for help and, and too far gone for hope. The way we say it is like this, after my health problems, I, I really hit rock bottom. Or after I lost my job, I I really hit rock bottom. But that's not always how it goes, is it? It's not always that we hit rock bottom. Sometimes rock bottom hits us. We feel the pain. We feel that punch. As someone once said, considering how my life has been going lately, it turns out rock bottom has a basement. You may be there today. So is there any help? I mean, is there any hope? Is there any help when things are lower than low? Or is there any help when things are worse than worse? Is there any help when you're living in the the basement of rock bottom with your Uncle Fester? You know, is there any help? For that? Is there any hope when you feel like you are losing heart? Yes, <laughs> there is. There is major help and there is major hope. Where? How? Well, let's see if we can find out. The Apostle Paul was writing to some of his friends in the ancient city of Corinth. And he said to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, these words. For momentary light affliction. Let's just stop right there. Because Paul seems to have never been in the basement of rock bottom with that statement, right? Affliction is not light. Affliction is heavy and affliction is hard. So we have to be sure that we're, we're understanding what, what affliction really is. Affliction is not when your order is wrong in the drive-thru and you have to pull over on the side and get out and walk back in and have them take the pickles off of your hamburger that you didn't order because you can do it yourself in the car. Now this is about the fourth Sunday I've said the pickle thing. All right, let me tell you why. 
Every single week I have been in this moment in a restaurant where someone lost their minds over pickles. I mean, absolutely lost their mind. It happened yesterday. It's pickles. You know, you just, you take them off. Put the bun back on. It's, you, you can do it. So, another little personal story. So yesterday I, I ordered a grilled chicken sandwich with with only mayonnaise. Oh, man, it's just great. Chandler, you know what I mean. I mean, only, only mayonnaise. So I got it, and I started walking back over the table, and the lady hollered. She goes, sir, 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 they didn't do it right. And I was like, that's ah, okay. So I, so I sit down and open it up, and man, there was not even mayonnaise on there, you know. It was lettuce and tomato and some kind of sauce. I don't know what it is. And you know what I did? You know what I did? I'll tell you what. I sat right there, and I ate it. Affliction is not when you get stuck in line at the department store because the girl at the registers knew and she didn't know how to use your 13% off coupon on those Batman towels that you were buying for the guest room. You know who you are. I was on the other side of the store. I saw you buying them. But that's not affliction. Affliction is not when your doctor has the nerve to go with her husband and her children to see her parents in Wisconsin and to leave you in the inhumanity of having to see another doctor or, God forbid, a PA to talk to them about increasing your cinnamon pills from 20 to 40 milligrams. I don't even tell there are cinnamon pills. There, there should be because I love cinnamon. That, that, that's not affliction. That, those are inconveniences. Affliction is hardship. Affliction is when you are being severely pressed and severely stressed physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Affliction is when you feel like you're losing heart. Affliction is when someone in your family, a spouse, a a parent, a child, a grandparent, Affliction is when that person daily sabotages your life with anger or apathy or annoyance or arrogance. Affliction is when somebody at work at school, maybe a a boss or a teacher or a student or an employee, when they sabotage your life on most days with anger or apathy or annoyance or arrogance. Affliction is when God keeps coming over and over and over again every day to that spouse or that parent or that child with grace and love and mercy, the grace and love and mercy that that person needs and that your family needs, and they reject that grace, and they reject that mercy day after day after day, but then they come to church on Christmas or Easter. Sorry, I I just went there. (laughs) This grace that God has for your soul, it is for your affliction, and it is for your family, and it is for your neighbors, and it is for this world. Do not reject this grace. Embrace it. Take hold of it. It is for you. Affliction is when a tornado slashes through your neighborhood and and your house is leveled. Affliction 
is when you cannot stand up and sometimes can't even talk after taking chemo. Affliction is, is hardship. And Paul calls affliction light. <laughs> Completely confusing. It's like he's living in cloud cuckoo land and he has no clue what suffering is. He has no clue what hardship is. Light. But let me just read just a little bit of Paul's resume. Okay. He was beaten with whips. He was beaten with rods. He was beaten with stones. He was beaten with fists. He was beaten by soldiers, he was beaten by robbers, he was beaten by strangers. He spent more than one night treading water in the ocean. Just own that for a second. In the dark, in the middle of the ocean, more than once. He was hungry, he was thirsty, he was starving more than once. He went hundreds of nights without being able to sleep at all. He was sick over and over again without medicine. He was in prison. He was abandoned. He was left out in the cold, naked to die. And that's just the stuff we know about. There's a whole other host of things. So at the very least, we could say Paul's in the, you know, let's just say top three of people who have suffered the most in their life. From a human standpoint, at least for the last 30 years of his life, Paul lived in the basement of rock bottom. He lived in constant affliction. And, and this is where things get weird, though. He, he was writing a letter to some other friends in a place called Philippi, and this is what he said. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Does Paul know what the word always means? Like rejoice in every situation in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord in, in every situation. Okay, let's just put that into, into Paul's life for a moment, okay? Let's put it into his world. Rejoice when you're out of prison. Rejoice when you're in prison. Rejoice when you're sitting out on the beach resting. Rejoice when you're being beaten with rods. <laughs> rejoice when you're sitting and, and having a great meal. And rejoice when you're left for dead on a trash heap. Paul says, rejoice always. Rejoice in all of those situations. He, he's not saying rejoice in the situation, okay? He says rejoice in the Lord. That's important. You know, this isn't a rocky Clubber Lang thing where Paul gets beaten. He goes, come on, hit me again. Come on, hit me again. And that's not what's happening. He's saying rejoice in the Lord, not, not rejoice in the situation. The, the situation is, is hard. But rejoice in the Lord always, always. Why do you have to put that word in there? All right, so let's put that into our world. Rejoice when your salary is good. Rejoice when you're barely making it. Rejoice on Thursday at 520 in traffic on 26. And rejoice on Easter Sunday when you spill coffee on your dress on the way to church. <laughs> no show of hands if that happened to you this morning. Sorry, I didn't know about it. Rejoice when you are calm and relaxed. And rejoice when you are stressed and refluxed. Rejoice if you have a new car. Rejoice if you have no car. Rejoice if you're hot-natured. Rejoice if you're cold-natured. Rejoice if you have a great waitress. And rejoice if you have a snippy waitress. Now, now somewhere in your mind, you're already going, dude, this is, that's impossible. And I completely agree. <laughs> it's impossible. It's impossible to rejoice in the Lord always in your own 
strength. You can't do it. I, I can't do it. But see, Paul's writing about rejoicing from a strength outside of himself that's actually inside of himself. It's, it's a strength that comes from another place. And what is that place? Well, stay with me. We're going to get there. But first, let's just look at this always again. Maybe it was a typo. Maybe, maybe Paul didn't mean to put always in there. Maybe what he meant to say is rejoice in the Lord always. If your name's Wade, rejoice in the Lord. You got a good solid name. Maybe that's what he meant to put and, and somebody just wrote it down wrong. No, unfortunately, that's not true. And, and here's how we know. Listen to what he says next. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, he, he meant to put it in there. The guy living in the basement of Rock Bottom, at least for the last 30 years of his life, he meant to say rejoice all the time in the Lord. And it's not a one-hit wonder either. Listen to what he said in Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Paul rejoiced in his affliction because his affliction was good for you. Paul was shipwrecked for your sake. Paul was beaten for your sake. Paul was afflicted for your sake. What does that mean? It means that Paul did not want you to die in your sins on Easter Sunday. It means that that Paul didn't want you to die in your sins on, on any Sunday. Paul didn't want you to die in your sins, period. So he rejoiced in his afflictions and his sufferings because he knew that that was one way that you would hear the gospel. So what is the gospel? If Paul would be afflicted for the gospel, if he'd suffer for the gospel, what's, what's the gospel? Greg Gilbert has taken all that the Bible says from cover to cover and kind of condensed a, a few questions that describe the gospel. The first one goes like this. Who made us and to whom are we accountable? And the answer we are accountable, accountable to the God who created us. We're accountable to God. Second section. What is our problem? In other words, are we in trouble and why? Answer, our problem is we have sinned against that God and will be judged. Third section. What is God's solution to our problem? How has God acted to save us from it? Answer, God has acted in Jesus Christ to save us. God's solution is salvation through Jesus Christ. And and in this last section, it's gigantically important. How do I, myself, right here, right now, how do I become included in that salvation? What makes this good news for me and not just for someone else? Answer, we come to be included in that salvation. We take hold of it by repentance from sin and faith in Jesus. Paul was afflicted. He suffered. He rejoiced in all of that because he wanted you to hear those questions. He wanted you to hear those answers. He, he wants you to hear the gospel about Jesus. He made sure it would happen. Paul was afflicted so that you would repent. 
and put your faith in Christ. But what was his energy for this? I mean, you know, this, this had to get exhausting, right? How could, how could Paul wake up every morning and, and just keep going, you know what, I, I'm ready to be afflicted again so that people will hear the gospel? Look what he says next, verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Producing here means that affliction is working for you. Affliction in your life is actually working for you. What in the world does that mean? Well, basically put, it's, it's kind of a weight problem. <laughs> I'm not talking about having too many hot glazed pastries either, right? Different kind of weight problem. It's a weight problem that's connected to your passions. What are you most passionate about? You know how anybody in this room will know what you're most passionate about? Is if we see you this week and talk to you. Because <laughs> see what you're most passionate about, you talk about. It, it kind of controls your thinking. It controls your calendar. It controls your schedule. It controls your free time. Your, your passions are seen in, in how you live. And your passion, your greatest passion, it controls how you think. David Guzik says this, often the problem isn't so much in what we think about our light affliction, but in that we think so little of our coming weight of glory. Paul could, could see and he could rejoice in his afflictions because he was looking at them through the goggles of eternity. And when he looked through those goggles, when he looked through the eyes of eternity, he saw his afflictions, they were real, but he also saw the, the glory, the weight of what it meant to be with God forever and ever and ever. Henry's not with us this morning, but Henry Holt is one of um, at least six people in our church family that are bravely fighting cancer with chemo and radiation and other medicine. And I'm so thankful for Henry this week because he showed me something in a little book. Actually, I'm really thankful for his friend in Virginia who sent him the book. But, but he showed me something that I could really latch on to this week, something that I, I've seen and heard before, but, but something I needed to see and hear this week. And, and it's something very simple that Billy Graham said. This is what he said. I've read the last page of the Bible. It is all going to turn out all right. If you are in Christ, the reason your affliction is light is because your affliction is not forever. If you are in Christ, your affliction is producing loads and loads of glory right now in your life because your affliction is actually helping you enjoy what it means to be with God forever. Thomas Watson was a pastor and an author in the 1600s. He said this, Our sufferings may be lasting, not everlasting. Lasting, but not everlasting. The suffering is real. The affliction is real. The pain is real. And that affliction and that suffering and that pain will last, but it'll only last for a time. And that time may be a few hours, and that time may be a few days, that time may be a few weeks, that time may be a few months, that time could be longer. But as the old saying goes, you, you don't see a U-Haul behind hers. <laughs> see, as, as a believer, what it means to be in Christ is affliction will not go with you. 
No more suffering, no more pain, no more hardship, no more stress, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more worry. It's impossible for those who are in Christ. Why? Because in Christ, everything really is going to be all right. Why? Because he's risen. That's why. Now, will it be right for for everybody? Is everything going to be all right for everybody? No. No, it won't. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. All of creation screams the existence of God. But then a little later in that same letter, Paul says this, Romans 3, 22 and 23, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. See, without Christ, we have no glory. We, we have no loads of glory, but, but with Christ, we have momentary light afflictions. These things that we deal with every day, they are producing loads of glory because they keep helping us see and know what it means to be with God forever. But everybody will not have that experience. I was listening to a sermon this week by David Platt and he was making reference to these passages that I just read to you. And, and then he just he said something that just really grabbed my attention. He said this. If you were to ask me, David, what happens to the innocent guy in Africa who's never heard the gospel? We've asked that question before, maybe in a different format. That's what he said. My answer to you, based on what I believe the word of God teaches very clearly would be that that man undoubtedly goes to heaven without question. He will spend eternity in heaven even though he's never heard the gospel. Got to chew on that for a sec, okay? (laughs) Because he just gave a bit of a pause and then he said this. The only problem is that God does not exist. See, all fall short of the glory of God. There's not an innocent man in Africa. There's not an innocent teenager in Australia. There's not an innocent married person in Austria. There's not an innocent senior adult in America. All fall short. All. No no one's innocent. And so thank God that Paul was afflicted so that the gospel would leave Jerusalem and go to Africa and go to Australia and go to Austria and come to America. Praise God that Paul was willing to wake up in the morning and be beaten and left for dead so that we could on Easter Sunday hear for the first time or for the millionth time the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, though. It's not just supposed to stay here. God's still calling us to make sure that the gospel goes to all of those places. Because how will they hear 
if no one tells them. Yeah. Some might be thinking at this point, ah, okay, Easter Sunday, I'm doing the church thing, I've heard it before, you know, everybody's going to die, and good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, but what do I do with this today? What am I supposed to do with all of this today? It's interesting, I'm pretty sure Paul knew you were going to ask that question in your mind this morning because of what he says next. Last part of verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. See, what you can do with all of this stuff today is that you can take it and you can get in the compare and contrast phone booth. See, the question is, where are you in this conversation? What what does your picture look like? The only way you can know is by comparing the true picture of your life next to the true picture of what it means to be in Christ. In other words, the difference between eternity with God and eternity without God. So, So let's just look at those pictures for a second. Thomas Brooks was another pastor and author in the 1600s. He gave this description of eternity without God. What are your present afflictions and troubles compared to the torments of the damned? Who, who are the damned? They are the ones that day after day keep rejecting the gospel and keep rejecting the grace of God. They're the ones who have rejected God, who are rejecting God, or will reject God, and they'll keep rejecting God until it's too late. And he says they have torments. What are their torments like? They are without intermission, without mitigation, numberless, bottomless. I knew I was going to say this word wrong. Forget it. Without remedy and endless. I told myself, just take it out. Endless. And no, no remedy for the torments. They never stop. There's no intermission. They're bottomless. They're endless. They're continual. And then he goes on. Who have weeping served for the first course and gnashing of teeth for the second course and the gnawing worm for the third course and intolerable pain for the fourth course. Yet the pain of the body is least part of pain. The very soul of sorrow and pain is the soul's sorrow and pain. The everlasting alienation and separation from God is served for the fifth course. And then he says this, Your sins have been far greater than many of those who are now in hell. And your great afflictions today are but a flea bite compared to theirs. I know, it's not a happy Easter Christmas card there, but, but it's the truth. So what about the other picture? What about with God for eternity? Octavius Winslow was a minister in England in the 1800s. You know why I'm quoting dead guys? Because they are living in this truth today. It wasn't just a sermon for them, it is their life today. This is what Winslow said. What comparison has the weight of the cross with the weight of the crown? Place in the scales the present light affliction and the future exceeding an eternal weight of glory, and which is the lightest? Are they even worthy to be compared? He says this, 
Oh, no. One second of glory will extinguish a lifetime of suffering. What were long years of toil, of sickness, of battle, with poverty, persecution, and sorrow in every form, and closing even with a martyr's death, when weighted with one draft of the river of pleasure at Christ's right hand, with one breath of paradise, with one wave of heaven's glory, with one embrace of Jesus, with one sight of God. Just one sight of God. Friend, there is no comparison. That draft, that breath, that embrace, that wave, that sight, is the greatest. It weighs more. Which picture is yours? With or without? Jeff Thomas said something really interesting that I just kind of love. He said, do you think that Paul will be tucked away in a corner under the stairs of the mansion Christ has gone to prepare for him? Or, he says... Will there not be millions who will seek him out, wanting to bow their head in respect and say, thank you, Paul, for all you did and what you wrote. It kept me going and gave me a reason for my life. I'll be one of those millions. Just from this past week, I'll be one of those millions. Thank you for being afflicted so that I could see the gospel again. So back to our question from earlier. Where's this place that gives Paul this energy? Where's this place that that helps Paul look at his affliction and say, this is momentary and light? Where is this place that helps Paul say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always? In the worst moments of my life, I'm, I'm going to keep rejoicing in the Lord. Where is this place that helps him from rock bottom? Well, don't miss this. Every day Paul woke up in rock bottom. He was there almost all day long. And he woke up the next morning and he was in there again. But here's what he did. From rock bottom, Paul kept looking up at another rock. And he kept seeing every morning and all day long that that rock was still rolled away. And that rock gave him help, and that rock helped him to rejoice always. That rock gave him purpose for living. That rock pulled him up from rock bottom over and over again. That rock gave him hope. The rock that rolled away and reminded him all day long that Jesus is alive. That rock gave him hope. Trevor Wax tells a story of a preschool class walking by the, the sanctuary one Sunday morning. Worship service had already started. And everybody was singing. They were joyful. And, and that morning in their little class, the preschoolers had already talked about, uh, about Jesus coming in. It was Palm Sunday. And so the teacher told them about Jesus coming in and shouting Hosanna. The teacher told them about days later Jesus being crucified. But then she said, now next Sunday we're going to come back and it's going to be Easter. We're going to celebrate that Jesus rose. 
from the grave. And this one little girl, she was just kind of standing right outside the door and, and she was listening with, with a look of awe on her face at, at what was coming from the other side of that door, the, the people of God worshiping the risen Savior. And she looked up at her teacher and she said, is that where Easter lives? Is, is that where Easter lives? Dear Christian, let us not lose heart. Because even at rock bottom, we can keep looking up and see that the stone is still rolled away. We can keep looking up and, and knowing that that stone being rolled away is a reminder that, that our Savior is alive and that our Savior is returning. So yes, in this room, and yes, in your car, and yes, in your home, if your heart has been resurrected with Jesus Christ, then yes, Easter lives here. Easter lives here.